Hey everyone, and welcome back to CityWide Blackout, your home for the best creators from around the world. I'm your host, Max Bowen. And for this episode, folks, we're going to be talking about These Things Happen through Girl Friday Books. This book, I'm about three quarters of the way through it, and I am absolutely loving it. It's been a really just draws me right in. So joining me to talk all about this and a whole lot more is author Michael Eon. Michael, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Okay. So there is so much to dive into here, but I want to talk a bit about uh, first about your own life and how it kind of pertains to the book, because I read that this book really encaptures a lot of your own battles with addiction. I'm wondering if we can talk a bit about that and how it led to writing the book itself. Yeah. Um, so I, I've struggled with addiction my, most of my life. Um, you know, uh, what, I was always looking for escape when I was, when I was young. I, I went from drug to drug. I always knew I'd have alcohol. And, uh, and then there came a day when, when the realization hit that, uh, you know, that I couldn't, I couldn't beat it. I couldn't beat it. And, um, you know, I was in total despair, but, um, you know, I grew up in the New York area and, um, in the seventies and, uh, it was, uh, chaotic both inside the house and outside. Um, you know, that, that time period, you know, as a kid watching the news, um, things like the son of Sam, uh, murders and, um, there was a there was a girl who fell into a coma after being in va- uh, on uh, taking Valium called the Karen Ann Quinlan. That was a big it was like the, the first major debate uh, about pulling the plug on, on someone who didn't have brain activity and, you know, went to the New Jersey Supreme Court, things like that. So, you know, as a kid, it, you know, it, that, those kinds of things affected me on the outside and on the inside of the home. You know, things were fairly chaotic. I was, you know. Um, always looking to get control, uh, in a situation where I had none whatsoever, you know, um, kind of a, a father who, who you, 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 you couldn't, you couldn't make a mistake. Uh, you know, it was like, not, not only were they not allowed, but it was like a betrayal. You know, I, I recall one instance growing up, I was probably six or seven years old and, you know, I was asked to get a, a Phillips head screwdriver. I had no idea what the, what a Phillips head was. But, you know, you couldn't ask because, you know, that was like, uh, how could you not know? And Grant, you're six or seven years old. Uh, so, of course, I brought the wrong I brought a flathead and, uh, you know, it was it was it was um, it was not the right choice. And, you know, so, you know, it was a lot of a lot of chaos, a lot of uh, things like that happening. And so I was always looking to, to, to get out of myself. You know, if I wasn't sleeping uh, around the clock, I was you know, I was, I was doing things to, to, um, calm myself and try and get some semblance of control. Um, and of course that led to drugs and alcohol. Um, very young. I started drinking when I was like 13, you know, immediately the, it was like, I found what I've been looking for, you know? And, you know, from there, it just, it just became, you know, one thing after another. Um, you know, I was kind of that, that highly functional, I could do, I could still keep my head together while, while, you know, being kind of sedated. Um, and so I went through life that way. Um, and, you know, eventually, uh, got out of there, got to college, got to, uh, you know, the professional world, but all the while I, I was, um, I was self-medicating, you know, there, there came a point where 
it was probably 2000. Well, 2002 was the first time, you know, um, I was, uh, 9-11 affected, affected me greatly. And, um, and, you know, my drinking kind of spiraled out of control at that point. And in 2002, you know, I finally came to the realization that I couldn't beat, I couldn't beat these drugs and alcohol. And, um, uh, and, uh, you know, I stepped down from this, this high pressure job that I was working and, um, I tried AA, um, you know, of course it, I said it didn't work for me. Um, but of course, uh, it was me that didn't work. I realize, uh, today and, um, you know, and so that, that began a battle of, of, you know, getting some time sober and then relapsing and so on and so forth. So. I finally got to a point where where I relapsed again and I got um, and I and I said, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I'm not going to I was you know, I'm one of these people that, you know, it's like you to ask for help is like the greatest weakness of mankind. You know, that was my that was my mindset. And um, and let alone believe in some power greater than myself or, you know, czar in the sky or, you know, whatever. So. But I had no choice. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was either going to continue to drink myself to death or I was going to give AA another shot because that was, you know, thank God for for a place where I could go and be anonymous and try and see if I can get some help and get off that merry-go-round of hell. And so I, I, I finally got 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 the, the you know, the strength to, to go in there and uh, got some time under my belt um, and, you know, kept going back. And that eventually led to me wanting to go through the process of the 12 steps. And that's where a lot of the writing began because the fourth step is, is, uh, is all about a moral inventory. And, um, and, you know, there's a lot of writing involved. And what happened was when I was doing that, I started, I started writing these kind of memory stories that, um, that evolved into this book. Um, so it was the, it was really the cathartic processing of those memories from when I was young um and that that led to the book and and there came a point where i was like you know i i I, a memoir would have been good but but for obvious reasons you know with people still alive and the whole aa anonymity thing um you know i i kind of said and plus memoir has there's been a lot of memoirs about addiction and recovery you know um so i figured let's do it as a uh you know as as a novel and that's that's what evolved. So while it's not based, you know, um, autobiographically specifically on my life, there are a lot of, you know, writing is, is experience. Um, and you know, the experiences that I went through, you know, are, are reflected in here, uh, to a certain extent. Is the book a shot for shot remake of your own life, or did you wind up making some, some changes for the sake of making a better story? Yeah, there's a lot of um, there. There's a lot of changes. I mean, you know, kind of time periods and 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 external events, you know, um, you know, are are of the time. But um, in terms of the actual characters, um, they're kind of an amalgam of of various people in my life that I grew up with. Uh, like, for example, um, I I you know I my, I don't have a brother that committed suicide, for example. Things like, you know, or attempted, you know, so like there, there are, there are things, it came out of these experiences from journaling um, and trying to, to process those memories. Um, and of course, um, 
it's inevitable that some of those things are going to end up um, in in some form or another um, in the book. But um, but the characters are 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 mostly different, but the 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 personalities are similar to to people I've known. It's 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 hard to explain, but it's because mm-hmm. I, I spent so many years working on it, um, and then putting it aside and then working on it um, that to get. Uh, to finally get it to the point where I'll say this, it was very, it was very much angry uh, and, and introspective at the outset. And I had to bring it to a point where it would become accessible to, um, to an average reader, um, you know, from a, from a literature standpoint. Um, And the, the other main goal of the book um, was to show how these characters had had gone through these traumatic events and gone through this trauma and came out or, or t- have attempted to come out on the other side through um, through recovery and through the principles that I've learned in the Twelve Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous um, and how to live life on life's terms, which is really the whole key of the whole thing. Something I was never taught how to do, you know, something I never had the tools for. You know, it was already always everybody else's fault. It was always uh, everybody else to blame. Um, and I never once looked at myself and what my part in in all of that was, which I think is not just for an addict uh, or an alcoholic, but but for any person can benefit from that and certainly can benefit from the book, even though it does kind of circle around, you know, addiction. How many years would you say you spent working on this? I would say on and off, it was probably eight, wow. eight years. Yeah, because when it first started, it was like I said, these these process, these these stories, these memory stories, based on what I had been re-experiencing as I was doing the writing for the fourth step uh, in the twelve step process. So, um, so I, st- I what I would do is I would think about those things, and then I would say to myself, "Let me." let me write more about this, just free flow uh, about something that had happened, um, an episode or, or, or uh, something that I remember, because a lot of that process is, is like, you, you know, you, you, you try to come up with all of the resentments that you've been holding on to your whole life. And even though there may not be a resentment tied to it, there, if there's something that's in your mind that you've been thinking, you know, that, that, you know, there's a lot of time passes in the year of a seven-year-old. But if I remember this one particular thing that I've never been able to forget, you know, then that's something that needs to be addressed, uh, whether I think there's a resentment associated with it or not. So um, what I would do is I would, these events that occurred, I would start to just free flow, write about them. And of course it was very angry in, you know, very, um, like I said, introspective, and um, you know, I, I started uh, I, I, I started sharing them with my wife, and she was like, "Wow, you should turn this into a book. You know, you should write this in into some kind of book." And so the early drafts were, you know, about this guy trapped in a cell with a voice that he couldn't see or or well, he could hear, but he couldn't see, um, and it was kind of like this idea of being imprisoned in your own mind. So as I had. Because I was formerly in the publishing business as well, and as I had others read this material, they were like, you know, it's really good, but but uh, you know, the average reader, you know, it doesn't follow a, a you know, the the usual, um, 
you know, novel outline, you know, it's, it was very experimental, let's say. Um, so, so I went through a lot of different versions and iterations and formulating how to come up with this end result. And, um, I'm very happy with, uh, how it, you know, how it developed and how it, um, how it ended up, but I may revisit some of that other stuff, that earlier stuff at some point. Going through this and going through your own life experiences, did you find that this gave you some new perspective on what you've been through? Yeah, huge. I mean, I mean, you know, it's 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 really this this process um, has been a gift. It, it's like I said, you know, being able to live life on life's terms and and being able to to um, deal with with things that happen in life inevitably every day you know, that I don't have to try to control. I don't have to get angry about, I don't have to, you know, it's really controlling your emotions and reactions and, and understanding at least my understanding that I don't have the power to do this stuff on my own. And that's what, where this, you know, higher power component comes in, in the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you know, doing things my way didn't work. I came to that realization, uh, and I understand it fully today um because i that my best thinking is what got me to where to where i ended up um and uh and so you know i in many respects um i was you know my mind was you know i i, I was ingrained in old old uh ideas that just were not working for me anymore i was constantly trying to escape and um and and you know so Having gone through that process where I finally got the courage to to ask someone to take me through the 12 steps, um, which was monumental because I never asked anybody for help. You know, the whole thing was was uh, I mean, it was a spiritual experience. Honestly, it really was. And um, and so, you know, I, I don't have to to be a victim. You know, um, I don't have to blame all the things that go wrong in my life on others, you know. Uh, and that's really one of the biggest gifts that my way of dealing with things it does not work, that I do not have the power uh, to deal with life on life's terms on my own, that I need something greater than myself, which for me is is really just an inter you know a power source, whether it be the universe or something that I could something that 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 is you know all encompassing in terms of life, but also something that I could have a personal relationship with. And it's really changed my life. Um, you know, I'm a completely different person. Uh, and really my mission today is to, is to carry the message and to, and to pay it forward. Like it was given to me as a gift. Um, and if I can do that, you know, either sitting in an, in an AA meeting or, or, you know, writing a book that, that can, can help, um, someone live life, you know, um, spiritually, then that's my goal. All right, let's dive into the story then, because I because I've been really really enjoying this one. So so this is all focused on your main character Daniel Zimmer, who is of course like yourself um, battling addiction, and we get to see him from a very early age, but also in his adult years, because we're kind of like flashing back and forth from the '70s to the more current era. Why go this route? First of all, I, I love I love the tech. You know, I love that. The technique, and I think if it can be done from a writer's perspective without confusing the reader as to where they are in the story, and also without having to blatantly say where they are, it can be very effective. But the idea was was 
again, to show as the story was moving forward in the present to show these past traumatic events that occurred and how they fed into the life of the characters in the future. Um, and I just felt that that was really the most effective way to do it because I wanted to build those pieces into the story. Um, but I also wanted to show, you know, the, the present day struggles of the, the adults that were kids in that past time frame, um, and how they either grew or didn't grow and how they changed. So, um, I just thought it was a very effective, um, technique to use. Oh, definitely, definitely. I also like the role of music in this book because throughout the early years, Daniel's really being introduced to a lot of amazing, amazing bands. Were these your favorite bands growing up? Yeah, I mean, the music was a huge part of my, it is a huge part of my story. I mean, it's something honestly like air I can't live without. Um, and, and that was the case when I was young. Um, and I was exposed through my older brother to to uh, a lot of great music back in the 70s and uh, and 80s. And it fit, the kind of music he was listening to fit, which was the, you know, the, the early punk bands and, and, and hard rock metal bands of that, of that era, you know, kind of really fit with my, with my existence back then. Because like I said, I was very angry. Um, I was, I was very, um, you know, int uh, introverted. Um, and I was always looking for escape and release. And so to have that chaotic music, uh, and that heavy music, you know, from bands like the Ramones and, uh, you know, Black Sabbath and Judas Priest, you know, it was like from the 70s going into the 80s, you know, I was like, I wanted something. I, I always was listening to music and I needed something heavier and heavier as time moved forward. And so, you know, the, the Judas Priest and Black Sabbath and the Ramones and things like that led to. Iron Maiden and uh, and you know the new wave of British heavy metal stuff coming out and then thank God for 1982-83 when Metallica uh, came out with Kill 'Em All because you know that was that was what I was looking for you know because I was always looking for heavier and heavier um, so from Metallica and Exodus and Anthrax and Slayer and all those early thrash bands um, you know I was I was in heaven uh, musically. Uh, and so that always went hand in hand with, with the drugs and the drinking and, um, and seeing a lot of shows uh, in the New York area. Um, so that was always a huge part of the story. And, you know, looking back for me, it was, again, another form of escape. You know, uh, the music was always another form of escape for me. So, um, yeah, it plays it plays it, it's played a huge part in my life. And I honestly I just I couldn't write this story without including um the effect that music had on the characters. Any favorite bands, albums, or songs that really stuck with you over the years? You know, I was a Metallica fan from day one. Um, and, uh, you know, I saw them when, when they came over, when they were recording Kill Em All, and they were playing clubs in Jersey. And uh, that was, that, that they were, you know, the Kill Em All, Ride the Lightning. Um, and then, of course, you know, master of puppets. I mean, those early, those early um, Metallica albums were huge for me, as were the early Slayer albums, you know, but all the while I was always into, you know, like, you know, the, the, 
the two Dio Sabbath albums, Heaven and Hell, which is genius, and uh, and the Mob Rules, and um, and and the two early Ozzy albums, um, you know, Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman, you know, all that stuff. I mean, I still listen to all that stuff today. I mean, that music has just had a huge effect on me, and I think it's I think it's some of the greatest music ever made. I really love the scenes where Daniel and his his younger brother Max were just going through the new albums they would buy because, of course, this was back before we had streaming services. So it's like, hey, I just got this new vinyl of Black Sabbath or or Metallica, and that was and growing up, that was a big thing for me too because like, oh, this new album is out, and that's all you had, and it was such a treasure to bring it home. You break it out, you put it on, you just go through the whole thing. It was such an amazing yeah. experience. I, I mean, those are things I remember. You know, I remember flipping through the the, the the vinyl in the in the record stores, and you know, looking at the different covers. I mean, one actually one of the earlier things um, that that just blew my mind was when I saw the import of the uh, um, both uh, Metallica or, or I'm sorry, Iron Maiden's first album and and Killers and the artwork of of their mascot Eddie. You know, and that I hadn't even listened to the music yet. And those covers just attracted me. Uh, I had to have them, you know. And then when I listened to the music, I mean, those two are some of the two greatest albums ever. So, um, yeah, I, that whole ritual, I, I love it. It's changed, you know, now today you, you got to, you know, it's it's weird. But, you know, it's funny because I still, you know, I think as we uh, people from that generation, you know, I still listen to whole, whole albums. You know, I, I don't I don't do like you know individual tracks off of a um, play this. If something new comes out, you know, I have to listen to the whole album just like I did when when I pulled out that that record. You know, in the seventies. Oh yeah, uh, same here, man. Same here. In fact, actually, I will buy CDs sometimes, and then I'll have to ask myself, do I actually have something that can play this anymore? Because my car can't do it anymore, and my computer doesn't have a drive for that. So I'll be like, wait, I think my PlayStation can do it. That's about it, really. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, All right, I want to look to some of the characters then, because, of course, you have a, a great array of characters, very deep, very well thought out. Daniel's father. Daniel's father, man, what a bastard that guy is. What a just controlling jerk and i'm being generous here what do you think his role is in terms of shaping daniel you know that that comes from from you know you know growing up in a you know like daniel is growing up in a in a world where the the one who runs the household has total control and um and there you know things have to be done a certain way you know, um, nothing can be questioned. You have to know everything from day one, no matter what you know or how old you are. There is no such thing as, like, for example, like the serenity prayer. When when I first heard that, um, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I, that was foreign to me when I first heard it, because in the world that I grew up in, there was nothing you couldn't change. You know, if you were driving to the to the Giants game, you know, on, on Route 3 in 1977, uh, you weren't one of these, you know, sheep that was sat in the traffic that went 10 miles out. You know, you went down the emergency lane. 
you know, uh, and and as a kid sitting in the back seat, you know, that was the greatest thing in the world. But, you know, as an adult, you can see how, you, you know, that kind of attitude, like the rules don't apply. You can do whatever you want. There's nothing that you can't change. You know, it's it's it honestly, you know, can 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 become a sickness for someone who is not built that way. And Daniel, you know, is 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 not built that way again, which is why he he, you know, between the music and and the alcohol, you know, he, he yearns for escape because he knows, you know, he can't control anything. And um, and so, you know, one of the one of the things, you know, without giving away, you know, any of the story, you know, a huge part of the book is is how the characters come to terms with each other and with those kinds of uh personalities and traits and uh, um, and worldviews and um, it can be done you know no matter what anybody says I mean as far as I'm concerned because I mean I you know I you can I think if I think if you really really want to you can change you know no matter what age you are and um, and I'm proof of that so yeah uh, there there are a lot of interesting characters and a lot of uh, you know a lot of conflict um and a lot of you know good recovery and resolution in the book as well so do you feel like daniel's father has any redeeming qualities i mean yeah there's there's a few instances in the book where 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 it comes out where um you know where in fact yeah he he does have a heart and you know he's not only thinking of himself all the time although those instances can be debated because you're not sure whether he's doing things out of the kindness of his heart or because he's getting something out of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, he definitely does. Um, but he only sees the world in a certain way and only sees what he sees. And, um, and he makes very little room for, for change or for, or for, you know, giving into anything, uh, that doesn't support, you know, his, what, what he wants. Do you think that he that Daniel's father is a product of his time or is he a more unique person? Yeah, no, you know, that's that's a huge um that was a huge point in my own life uh in terms of of dis, of self-discovery and understanding um and I think it 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 also becomes a huge point in Daniel's life uh in the book because um because what we don't realize, you know, especially when we're kids, but even when we get older is that you know, I, I've come to see adults as basically grown up kids. You know, I mean, you know, a lot of people grow up, they don't have the tools. They had their own childhood. They had their own struggles and battles with their own parents and with their own with the with the their own environment. And depending on what time, uh, you know, what time period that that happened and what was going on in the world and in their towns and things like that. And, you know, when when you're when you're young and you're in that mindset of you know I just I hate you and and you know you you've you know you ruin my life every day you know you you don't stop to think about it's only about you which is one of the things you know that I've learned in in AA is is basically you know it's a disease of self in many respects you know this this self preoccupation with what's happening to me only you know, without regard to anything else. And, and, you know, when you step out of yourself and you try to see what's, you know, why someone may be the way they are, 
Um, like I said, they're just a product of their own environment. They're a product of their own parents. Uh, they had their own struggles, their own, their own childhood. And, um, and, you know, you have to, you have to understand, you know, now the question becomes, okay, well, at what point do you say, well, okay, he's been alive long enough now to see good, bad and everything in between. And, you know, why doesn't he change, you know, but the fact of the matter is people have the right to do whatever they want just by virtue of the fact that, that, that Walter Zimmer is Daniel Zimmer's father doesn't mean that he needs to treat Daniel a certain way. That's the reality of it. You know, I mean, you can, you can, Daniel can say all he wants. Well, you know, he's my father. He should do this or he should be this way or this or that. The reality is he's just another human being trying to get through the world. Yes. He had you as a child, you know, you're, you're, you're his child, but, but, you know, people can do whatever they want um, and, you know, right or wrong. And, you know, the sooner Daniel accepts that, the better off he'll be because um, because the other thing, the other way just destroys him. You know, they say like resentment and anger is like drinking poison and waiting for the other guy to die. You know, and that's what that's what's happening is you're destroying yourself. Um, and the other person is going on with their life, you know. Not not having any any idea that you're, you know, that you're in the state you are. Mm-hmm. So, how about the characters of Jill and Breed? Now, these are two of Daniel's love interests. One from his earlier years, and then one from like later on. What would you say their impacts are on Daniel? And as a follow up question, is one better for him than the other? You know, Bree is is a childhood friend of Daniel's um, who ends up having her own struggles, uh, health struggles, and um, ends up moving away. And, um, you know, uh, they're almost like soulmates from from a very young age. And um, it's hard for, for it's another th- thing that occurs in, in Daniel's life early on that contributes to this, you know, inability, you know, this this whole not being able to control things and nothing ever going his way. And you know, and contributes to his his wanting to escape and his drinking and uh, everything else when she moves away. So, you know, it's, you know, uh, I'll say that, you know, when when they when they revisit each other, you know, it's you know, it the reader will be able to tell how important she is in his life uh, in terms of, you know, trying to get him to to turn around. Uh, his life, but um, but Jill, on the other hand, is is someone he also knew as a child, and someone who has her own struggles with addiction. And I think he's just kind of Daniel's probably just biding his time with her, you know, kind of settling um, when he when he doesn't have to, but he is. Um, so I, you know, he does a lot of reflection in the book about about why he's why why am I with her, blah blah blah, you know. So. Um, but the story, I guess, at its heart would be one of the storylines is this kind of, you know, this kind of soulmate, you know, idea between Daniel and Bree and how important she is in his life. Uh, and, you know, without giving anything away, how uh, important she becomes in his recovery as well. So it's, it's definitely it's there's definitely a love story there. And I definitely would say that Bree is much more important in his life. Okay. 
I definitely agree. Yeah. I definitely got the idea that Jill was just sort of taking a space for a while. Then when Brie comes back, it's like no time has passed. Daniel is totally in love with her again, even though Jill's like, hey, I'm, I'm right here, dude. Standing right here. She's your ex. I'm your current one. Is there a particular part of the book, without giving away any kind of spoilers, that you feel is particularly pivotal for Daniel? I mean, there's, there's definitely events that occur, you know, in his, in his childhood where, you know, he, you know, fear is, is a, I'll just kind of say this, fear is a, is a driving factor, I believe, um, in, a lot of, in a lot of the character defects that people have. Um, and, you know, a lot of those character defects are survival skills when you're a kid, you know, um, lying, uh, cheating, um, doing things just to survive um, that aren't necessarily good qualities to have. And, you know, fear is the, is the motivator of that. I mean, you can either, you can either live in fear or you can live in love. I don't know how much in between there is. And, uh, and, you know, Daniel uh, and his brothers live in fear and that motivates a lot of how they act. That's something that has to be resolved inside the characters um, and inside us individual humans, you know, in terms of, you know, how we're, you know, how we can change, you know, um, because if fear in my eyes, um, is, is the motivator of, of what, you know, and it's, it's not just fear of, um, you know, a snake or getting hit by a car. It's, it's, it's self-centered fears, you know, fear of, of, um, of losing something you don't. Um, you know, losing something you have or not getting something you feel you're owed, you know, things like that. Um, those kinds of fears, you know, they, they rule our lives, whether we want to acknowledge that or not. And, um, and that motivates us to do certain things and act certain ways because of the environment, the external environment and, and the, you know, and, 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 that the environment in his household and the environment, uh, you know, in, in the New York area in the seventies, for example, um, you know, uh, with the son of Sam murders, for example, the entire city was, I mean, the entire tri-state area was, was, uh, was crippled with fear, you know, between the hype in the newspapers and on the news. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're like a nine, eight, nine, ten year old watching the, uh, watching new, the news at night that happens to be on that your parents are that your mom's watching and you know, it's all about son of Sam murders, you know, and then you hear about kidnappings, you know, young kids being kidnapped. And, you know, that time in that area, you know, was, um, was very chaotic. And, and, and so, you know, growing up, you know, you had a lot of fear, you know, and I think Daniel in the book, he feels that, you know, he feels that. And, um, and there, those instances where, you know, um, where the book deals with, you know, either things that are happening inside the house or, or outside the house. Um, it's like, there's no safety, there's no safety. And I, I mean, it's hard to get into specific events without, you know, kind of, kind of spoiling things, but, um, but yeah, there, there are a number of things that occur that, that have a major impact on him. Um, and those are the kinds of things that he has to resolve. Um, because those are the kinds of things that are driving his, you know, his, his alcoholism and drug addiction. All right. Um, now, Michael, I know that your background is working in the publishing and the, and the entertainment industry. So 
writing obviously is nothing new for you, but did that kind of work really help you when it came to writing this novel? Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of experience um, with uh, with you know my my in my professional career, I, I did a lot with um, with with publishing. I was on the audio side for 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 a lot of years um, when audio books uh, and digital audio first first started to arise in the early '90s, um, mid '90s, um, and uh, and. And then going into, you know, film and television, things like that, always being exposed to scripts, uh, you know, and prior to that, always being exposed to 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 literature uh, and fiction, uh, nonfiction. You know, I mean, all of that, you know, I didn't have formal training in writing. Um, You know, I didn't I didn't get a creative I didn't have a creative writing degree. Um, You know, I I just I learned by reading a ton my entire life and by by, you know, my professional career uh, in publishing and entertainment. And so, you know, it, what I'll say, writing itself does not come difficult for me. It's putting it all together in a form that would, will be approachable to the average reader. um, That, that was the challenge. Um, But, you know, I have, you know, I have, I I have a lot of people that, that, that would look at, different parts of the book and, you know, I get, I get, um, feedback and, you know, so it was like revision after revision after revision. Um, so when I really started to focus on it, the, the few years leading up to finishing it, um, you know, I was, I was really working a lot on it, um, and on the revisions and, you know, in, in making sure everything fit and worked together and flowed and, um, you know, read easy and, but got across everything I wanted to get across. All right, well, Michael, we're coming down to the end of the conversation, but I want to ask about the character of Max. He's Daniel's younger brother, and he's obviously a very pivotal character in the series because he, his lifelong battle with mental illness is something that Daniel becomes involved with. He helps to care for him and help him out. But I believe you mentioned you didn't have a Max in your life growing up, so how did you kind of create this character and get into his head? Yeah, well... I mean, he's kind of modeled after people I knew and one of my brothers um, who, you know, it, it's like the the difference between Max and Daniel is such that and it's kind of the experience that I had with one of my other brothers It's like one brother, you know, gets you know, when faced with, with trauma and everything else, you know, kind of gets angry and wants to destroy everything and, and, you know, kind of rises to, to, to the occasion of facing that and trying to, you know, yes, escaping, but still trying, you know, wanting to fix that. The the other kind of, the other way to go with that and that's then the way Max goes is, is, you know, kind of into himself, um, kind of, I won't say cowering in the corner, but figuratively, you know, he shies away from all of that, doesn't know how to deal with it, um, doesn't, isn't, isn't in his nature to, to get angry or face up to anything um, that's causing his problems. And, uh, and just lets, really lets the world and and the people you know around him causing this trauma destroy like literally destroy him mentally 
Um, yes, Daniel is drinking and, and, and escaping that way, um, but it's more of a self-medication to get out of the anger and rage and hatred that he feels constantly. Whereas Max is, is more letting it, letting, letting all of that destroy, you know, just literally destroy him mentally um, and really can't or doesn't know how to, to deal with it. And that's where, you know, Daniel tries to, you know, help. I mean, antagon they're, they're antagonistic brothers growing up, but at the same time, um, Daniel feels he won't, he hurt when, when, when Max hurts. It's an interesting dynamic. And I think um, it's very relatable. And I think people will, will really know other, you know, people in their lives that, that deal with a lot of these issues that these characters have. Okay, Michael, um, who would you say this book is for? I mean, look, addiction and recovery, whether you're the addict or not, you can just be a friend, family member. I mean, it touches what three, you know, 60% of, of lives in America, you know, so it's, you know, the, the topic is, is huge. And I think that people, I think that one of the things um, that's difficult for, for people who are at, you know, who aren't addicts, but are exposed to the addicts behavior um, is, is that, and still it's the same stigma that's been forever, but it's getting better. But, you know, it's a moral failing or it's a matter of willpower. It's not, you know, it's, it's not, um, it is a disease. Is it, it is a disease of, of, uh, mental obsession and, um, physical craving, physical allergy. I think that, that it's in the book is enlightening for anybody who's either experiencing addiction themselves or, or directly, or who knows somebody that's experiencing addiction or has someone in their family or, or friend or life on, on that side in terms of the active addiction side. And on the other side, in terms of the recovery side, it's also the same people because, you know, the, the, there, there are, the, the book offers in showing the relationship between Daniel and, and, and his recovery, it offers specific tools on, on practical ways that people can can understand and figure out how to deal with all the stuff that goes on in our lives every day, um, and and so in that regard, it's also, I mean, anybody can get something out of this book because, like I said, twelve steps of recovery that you know anybody can benefit from those. You don't have to be an addict for that because we all, in one way or another, have resentment and trauma um, that has occurred uh, that needs to be worked through. Um, and we all, to a certain extent, I believe, are, um, you know, are powerless over people, places and things. I think the book, honestly, I think I think it, it's it's anybody. The story itself is engaging, but even beyond the story and the characters are very relatable and engaging. But even beyond that, um, I think that there's a lot of, of, of benefit that, that someone can get out of it um, for their own life and living their own life. All right. All right, Michael. Well, to wrap this thing up, of course, the big question folks are wondering: What's next for you? Well, I'm working on uh, I'm working on two projects actually. One is, as any reader will be able to tell from 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 this book, you know, and from this conversation, one of the things that that I've always been um, hungry to understand is 
is murder and death and war and why people, why humans kill each other. And, you know, I was obsessed with, with um, understanding these things uh, as a kid, um, whether it was war, you know, books about war or books about serial killers or, or all of that, you know, combining that with the addiction recovery piece in another um, more of a thriller based novel um, is something that I'm working on. And then there's something that I'm working on in, in the way of music also that where it's fiction, but it brings more of the, the, the music, the music scene that, that I grew up with uh, into it. Th those are two projects that I'm working on and, um, and I'll have to see which, which gets more of my attention over the coming months and years. I'm going to take a guess and say the music one. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, Maybe. I'll bet. I'll bet. All right. Well, yeah. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. As I said before, these things happen. I am thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying it. It is a wonderful tale, and folks, you are going to enjoy it. But to learn more, you go to michaeleonauthor.com. You'll find everything there. Of course, leave reviews, follow the socials, all the things we say to help bring all these creators up. And Michael, thanks again, and looking forward to the next conversation. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, this is singer-songwriter Danny Horovitz, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout. And that brings this episode to a close. Thanks to everyone for listening, and be sure to follow the show on Facebook at Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram at Citywide Max. You can reach me at citywidemax at yahoo.com to suggest a guest or submit music for the Blackout Collection playlist. You can find the show wherever you check out your favorite podcasts, and new episodes are aired every Saturday at 10 p.m. EST on Boston Free Radio. That's all for now, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>